Welcome to Behavioral Health in the New Normal, a podcast developed by Prestige Community Resources, aimed at bringing healing back to our community through knowledge, expert advice, and positive messaging. The show is a joint venture between the Department of Behavioral Health and Prestige Community Resources, funded by SAMHSA in response to the challenges currently impacting our communities. Hosted by Paul Wells Sr., who uses over 30 years of extensive clinical social work experience to conduct insightful interviews with experts and professionals on a wide range of topics that impact the Washington, D.C. community. From behavioral health crisis to education to financial hardship and anything in between, this show will provide information and insights that will surely make a difference in your life. Audience, man, am I excited today. We have a powerful woman who's going to share her experiences as a, as a mother, as a business owner, as a uh, life coach. And her name is Nikisha Moore. Welcome, Nikisha Moore. Hey, Paul, how are you? Oh man, I'm, I'm just, I'm, it's a good day. And I'm really uh, excited about this discussion we're gonna have with you. Before we get into it though, let me just remind everyone that this is a collaboration between Prestige Community Resources and the Department of Behavioral Health with SAMHSA. And we're so proud and, 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 and thankful that they were able to fund this uh, opportunity to have discussions about how the pandemic has had an impact, but more importantly, how we've overcome in spite of. And so audience, let me tell you a little bit about Nikisha. She's an alumnus of Howard University. She recently retired from a 20 year career in project and program management. Nikisha is a PMP, CSM and ITIL V3. And we're gonna, I don't even know what that is, but she's gonna tell us. Throughout her tenure, she has worked with the federal government, local government, and several nonprofits in the DMV area. At the young age of 27, Nikisha became an entrepreneur and opened an IT consulting firm. Told you she was powerful family. In the later years, she began investing in real estate, and which also really benefited her greatly. In the next chapter of her life, it was her heart's desire to simply make a difference in the lives of those who are in need. And in spite of her success, uh, Nikisha's life story has been one of trial and triumph many times over. In fact, in, in 2018, she became a certified life coach, specializing in spiritual and business life coaching. At this point in her journey, Nikisha hopes to use her life and testimonial to inspire empower and motivate others. Uh, and as a vehicle to do that in 2021, she started a company called Empowerment Network, which is a faith-based community organization founded to encourage its members to use their faith to empower their mind, body, spirit, and let's not leave out finances. Finances. So Nikisha Moore, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. How you, how you feeling again today? I just want to hear. Give me a shout out. You're doing good. It's a good day. Yes. Today's a great day. Every day is a great day. It sure is. And this pandemic, if nothing else, has put us all in a posture of humility and gratitude uh, for Absolutely. every day that we're able to have a conversation. It's a good day. It's a good day. So I'm glad we find you in good health. So I thought yes. we'd start, Sister Nikisha. Tell us a little bit about you where you grew up where you went to school tell us about your family um 
Okay, so I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I attended Woodlawn High School. So my shout out to all my warriors out there. There we um, go. I have a amazing, amazing family. I have two adult children and uh, one two-year-old granddaughter who's the absolute love of my life. Um, I have a wonderful family and a wonderful support system on my maternal and paternal side. Um, I'm very grateful for them. We have very good times together. Um, I grew up with both parents. For the most part, my parents did divorce, um, but for most of my life, I grew up with both parents. Um, I lost my mom in 2012. Um, and, uh, my dad is still here and, uh, we're still going strong as a family. Okay. Is, is he still in, in Baltimore? Yes, absolutely. He's in Baltimore. Okay. And are you in Baltimore or DC at this point? I live in DC. Okay. Good. Good to know. Um, yes. you said you have a granddaughter. What's your grandbaby's name? Alani. Alani. <laughs> the, the reason I asked you to, to say her name is I've met Alani. She is the most beautiful little girl I've seen, I think, ever. She is adorable. Yes, lots of fun. Lots, lots of fun. Lots of fun, yeah. Yes. And and so you have two children, two adult yes. children. Uh, yes. Okay. Now tell us, when did you first hear any um information about this COVID-19 and the lockdown. What was your first occasion to hear that the virus was here and it had penetrated our life? I think that um, the first time I heard about it, uh, the president had, uh, was Donald Trump at the time, uh, was making an announcement um, and there were um, some CDC officials. Um, and I happened to be on the phone with one of my cousins. Um, I told her, I have lupus, so um, I was very curious about the pandemic when I first heard about it and how it would impact me. So I decided um, after, in talking with her that I would go to the emergency room and um, with the symptoms of the pandemic to see what actually would happen. I see. Um, and, and I did that at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Um, when I got there, I was surprised. I, I said that I had symptoms. They would not give me a mask because at that time, masks were very scarce. Mm -hmm. um, I waited a very long time to be seen. Everyone else in the emergency room was seen before me. Um, and that was because they did not have a lot of rooms to see uh, potential COVID patients at that time. Yes. And rooms had to be purified. Air had to be cleaned between each person. So that in itself, I think was a 45 minute process. Um, when I was seen, I was in a room by myself mm -hmm. uh, with given a telephone. And um, anyone that came in the room was fully suited. Yes. And they told me the doctors would not come in unless they had uh, to examine me further. And uh, they, gave me the telephone for them to call me and ask me questions. It was a very lonely yeah. um, process. And so um, I did a video coming out of that experience that I sent to my family and friends. And I titled it, They're Not Ready. Because I realized even in talking to the doctors and nurses at that time that mm -hmm. they were had not been fully trained as to how to serve COVID patients, um, that they still didn't have a whole lot of information 
There weren't a lot of rooms that could accommodate COVID patients. So I really knew we were in for a um, huge ordeal from that experience. Yeah, I can imagine. You talked about feeling lonely. And during our, the several episodes we've had under this topic, many of the persons who've had some exposure, some risk, or even a diagnosis talked about the isolation and the loneliness yeah. that, that accompanies the entire experience from beginning all the way through recovery. Now, so you were symptomatic early on in the epidemic. Is that what you're telling me? Is well, well, no, I actually wasn't. I just wanted to, because I um, was an at-risk person with having risk, risk. Okay. I wanted to understand what mm -hmm. I was up against and what the experience would be like. Um, so, you know, at that point, a lot of the symptoms were just general cold symptoms. Um, and so those were the symptoms I gave. Um, and there actually was a checklist because you would not at that point get tested unless you had a certain number of those symptoms. Um, and it was automated. So when I went in and I said I thought I might have COVID, they actually went through a series of checklists. And if you did not have enough of those symptoms in the checklist, they would not uh, have test tested you. I see. Now, I imagine there must have been uh, significant anxiety because you said you went to the emergency room at one in the morning. Why one o'clock a.m.? Well, I just know that they're typically a little thinner, you know, in the later hours than during the day. Mm -hmm. um, so I figured that it was, um, and, and I didn't want to risk a safer time to go. Okay, okay. Did you get a sense that the medical staff, and, and I imagine, I think you mentioned that you didn't feel like they were fully prepared. But there oh, was no, they clearly stated that they weren't. They clearly stated, you know, Ms. Moore, we're still learning about this. We're still getting training um, mm -hmm. ourselves. So we're going to do the best we can. Um, you know, and they, they said that they only had five rooms that they could allocate for COVID patients at that time. So they yeah. admitted that they were quite unprepared. So with that disclaimer, right at, at the beginning, the introduction of patient care, uh, I imagine if you weren't anxious, you might become anxious because there were so, there's so much unknown at that time. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the first, my first thought at that point was to make sure that my village, my, my circle was okay and informed. And so that is why I took an hour to create a video that I could send around and text to everyone saying, hey, we need to take this seriously. Um, they're not prepared, so you need to you know, become informed and prepare yourself to stay safe. Uh, um, it was, I realized in the beginning that this was going to really become an ordeal. Yeah, so you didn't meet all of the criteria on that checklist. Uh, and so right. therefore, they did not move forward with any further testing? Um, no, they did do the testing because I, I did meet enough to get tested. Okay. okay. Yeah, I did meet enough to get tested. So the um, they did do the test. Mm -hmm. It was it a was rapid test? uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was not the rapid test. It was the nasal yes. test. Yes, yes. And they went all the way to the back of the throat. It was very uncomfortable. It was quick, but it was very uncomfortable. Okay. And how soon after did you uh, obtain the results? Uh, seven days at that point. Okay. So what was that waiting period like for you? 
Um, of course, anytime you're waiting for uh, um, a diagnosis, it, it's, you know, grueling. So um, that was a very uncomfortable time. Uh, and then, you know, you do this intense watching all of the news and um, on the internet kind of um, trying to, to learn as much as you can. So your anxiety is building as you learn more um, and they begin to start um, tallying the number of, uh, of losses that we had, you know, even in early on. Absolutely. And that just exaggerates any anxious ideas that you might have. Absolutely. Uh, it is better not really to even pay attention to the news. You know, you made me reflect back during the 90s where HIV testing was being encouraged and promoted and people were going in. And if you recall in the very beginning of that experience, you had to wait three to six months before your results were available. Yes. Uh, and then you had to go back and, you know, you went in to get tested, blood drawn, and they orientated you and gave you some information. And then you had to go back. I, I think it was three months, maybe 90 days after. Mm -hmm. But that 90-day period in between the test and the, the results was very, very overwhelming. And, right. and every symptom that you could imagine, you probably experienced during that 90-day period just waiting for the, for the exam. Exactly. Just in anxiety alone. Yeah. Right, right. So the rapid testing has is, is, is been a critical uh, component, I think, to successful uh, service delivery. It re re reduces the anxiety. It gives us a, a, an immediate result and the ability to treat uh, immediately if necessary. Yeah. Well, also the rapid testing was a requirement because, you know, uh, COVID was, you know, could take a life in a week. So, yeah. you know, if you were taking three months, if this was a three month test, you know, it'd be way too late um, right. because the spread was so terrible and the, um, you know, the life toll. Yeah. Um, and, and the disease moved so quickly that you didn't have 90 days. Now, prior to self-reporting to the emergency room, did you know anyone who had tested positive or was symptomatic or had uh, expired as a result of the, the illness? No, not prior to the emergency room. That was very, very early on um, mm -hmm. when they first started going public um, that I went to the emergency room, but certainly after that. So you really, there wasn't a frame of reference that was reliable. There's nothing really to relate to. The facts right. weren't confirmed. The treatment protocols weren't um, necessarily uh, consistently applied. Um, and there really wasn't a reference. There weren't even others really to talk to about their experience. So I and imagine that's what encouraged you to record it so that you right. could assist and empower, we're going to talk about your company empowerment, yes. empower other people to make different decisions and to take actions and control over their uh, uh, the experience. Yes, absolutely. And I continued for about the first four weeks of um, sharing information that I could confirm, you know, um, with reputable service uh, sources like CDC or doctors that I knew personally so that um, my friends and family could stay informed. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first uh, started hearing about uh, the pandemic and symptoms that correspond with that and the preventive measures that they were uncertainly promoting because the, the messages kept changing, 
right. was terrified. I was I was masked up, gloved up, scared to go out. Uh, when I went grocery shopping, I kept the groceries outside and rubbed them down before I brought them in. And yes. just a real exaggerated response to, to safety. Um, when you got your negative seven days later, what protocols did you put in place for self to ensure that moving forward, you wouldn't contract the disease? Um, I did the same things that you did. I think most of us were very exaggerated. You know, even when I got delivery packages, I left them outside the door for 24 hours. I sprayed them down with Lysol before I brought them in. Um, used gloves everywhere. Uh, I did some of the same things, stayed in uh, mm -hmm. for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And I immediately uh, uh, had concern for family, family within yeah. the house and extended family outside of the home. Uh, and uh, was, you know, I kept reminding them, be careful, keep your mask right. on, wash your hands. And uh, they were really getting annoyed at me at some point. Uh, I think I was more preoccupied with safety because working in the medical field, we, we were seeing people uh, uh, succumbing to the illness real time. We were seeing patients getting sick. And, and uh, so it was very real to me. Right. And some of my family members didn't have that same um, exposure. And so right. some of them were a little careless in the beginning of um, not really practicing good uh, safety provisions. Uh, Did you have anyone in your family who in the beginning didn't really get it and you had to keep reminding them and informing them and educating them? No, um, I, I kept educating, um, not because my family wasn't getting it. I just wanted to keep it on the forefront because, you know, sometimes when you uh, get away from, you know, watching the news, which, you know, people were definitely doing during that time, it's easy to forget and get a lot, uh, you know, more lax with your safety techniques. So I kept uh, informing people. My biggest concern was my granddaughter, who was only one at the time, did not understand the concept of wearing masks. So I was very concerned about her and her safety. Um, because she went unmasked um, if she was out because she just wouldn't, she didn't understand it. She couldn't keep, she wouldn't keep it on. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, we did a, a show, uh, an episode on uh, with a married couple who were um, having a child during the pandemic. And there are so many nuances that you normally just would take for granted that you had to really pay attention to just, uh, and so I, you, you're right. A, a one year old is not, um, conscious enough uh to remind self to keep the mask on right and right. so everyone else around the baby has to constantly yeah why wow, I, I never thought about that have you encountered anyone who's gotten sick as a result of the, the oh uh, yes mm -hmm. yes um my uh brother had covid oh my goodness. um he did very well with it though uh, my stepmother had COVID. Um, it took her a long time to uh, get rid of it. Um, and then she had uh, symptoms, you know, different things, different ailments that came up after uh, yeah. she had COVID. And she was in great health fright. Um, yeah. There are some people that are more distant. Uh, that, those were the people closest to me. Uh, but some of the people that live in my community um, actually passed uh, uh, with COVID. 
that was very, very difficult, very good people. Um, so that was very difficult. Yeah, same here. I've lost family and dear friends uh, to the illness. And it's, you know, I think I'm st I not think I'm sure I'm sure I'm confident I'm still grieving their loss because good people, young and a robust life. And, and, yes. and, and uh, unfortunately, um, they succumb to the illness. Now you talked about stepmom, and I, there's this term that I've been hearing about long haulers that uh, even though people recover recover from the acute symptoms, those initial symptoms, they continue to have residual and long term uh, impact. Yes, and I, I guess that's what your 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 mother in law is experiencing. Your stepmother, I'm sorry. Yes, um, one of the uh, things that they have said. Uh, is a long-term impact from having COVID is blood clotting. And that was something that she experienced um, and is still experiencing. And they're still trying to work with her to resolve the issues of clotting. She's had several clotting clots in her legs and she never had that problem prior to having COVID. As a daughter, what kind of emotional support did you feel necessary to provide your dad and your, and your stepmother? What was your role in, during that whole course of care? I'm glad you asked that question. Um, my stepmother had a very difficult time. Um, she kept going to the emergency room with anxiety. Um, you know, she was having shortness of breath and she wasn't sure with having COVID, it made her very nervous. Mm -hmm. um, we really spent time um, exercising faith. You know, it's something I believe in. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I told her she had to keep her, keep hope. Um, you know, I think she was focusing on what if I die, what if I die? And that was kind of her, uh, uh, what she woke up to every morning. And I said, you you have to change that. So what mm. if I, what if I, what if I outlive this? What if I outlive that? You've got to ask a different question. Okay. You've got to keep hope. You've got to stay prayerful. Um, you've got to believe that you're going to make it through that. Um, and we went on that journey together, um, particularly a spiritual journey together to increase her faith so she could get through it. And um, that's really when she started to um, experience less symptoms and then come back with that um, negative uh, test result. That's such a reliable, such a reliable response to any devastating diagnosis. And, uh, you know, when, when I think about faith, when I think about family, those are two important ingredients in, a, in the recovery formula. Um, yes. And so I'm just so impressed that you reinforced those two components. You were there consistently and you uh, reminded her of how to apply faith yes. uh, as she restored her health. Uh, yes. Did you ever have any moments of doubt that she would successfully recover? No, actually, I, I, I didn't. Um... I, I just, I didn't, I, I believed, I, you know, even though we were losing people and we were losing people that I knew, um, you know, I had her taking her temperature every day. Um, we all had the, um, the uh, equipment to read our oxygen levels. Um, she gave me those numbers every day. Um, and they, the, those results uh, led me to believe that she would be okay. Yes. Oh, wow. That's, that's powerful. Now, have you had a chance to, to, well, I guess you have, you've had a chance to visit her and do you see her? Face oh, absolutely. Face? She's doing fine. That's good news. That's good news. 
Now, what have you what what have you done, or what are you currently doing to stay healthy yourself? Oh, um, recently I started walking uh, a mile every day, or um, I try not to miss days. I can't say I'm out there every day, but I try to be out there most days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a great, great experience for me. It's just time for me to reflect, um, just to have some quiet time, um, to just be mobile after being in so long. And um, after being, you know, in so long with the pandemic, just to get out and breathe fresh air um, every day and take those 20 to 30 minutes to yourself to reflect. And, you know, sometimes I just have quiet time. Sometimes I meditate, sometimes I pray. Sometimes I, you know, um, goal set, you know, and, and plan my yeah. next step. So yeah. it's just been very re- refreshing um, for me. Um, and through that, um, in my organization, we want to do uh, a Get Fit DMV movement um, just to encourage others to make use of this time that we now can be out of the house and doing something positive. That physical activity definitely affects our overall well being. I really want to commit the, the second half of this discussion to uh, your empowerment network agency and your role as a life coach um, and, and see what, what answers and ideas you have to support those who are suffering or emotionally and physically. One thing we know here at Prestige is the request for intake have increased uh, significantly, right? and um, we know that many people as a result of this last year experience have uh, experienced uh, high levels of anxiety, uh, significant depression and isolation, and some other uh, undiagnosed mental health uh, dilemmas have been um, influenced. Uh, and so I'll be interested to hear how you approach it as a life coach. Uh, what does your agency um uh, do what strategies have you applied? What models have you referenced to support those who are really struggling emotionally, financially, and spiritually? And so, first, tell us a little bit about your 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 company, the Empowerment Network. Uh, when was it established, and what's its vision and mission? So, um, we established in 2021. We actually launched this June. Um, and of course, we are a um, community services, faith-based um, organization. Um, use and and our what we're all about is using your faith to empower your mind, body, spirit, and and finances. Um, we want to be a very um, we want to speak to speak faith in a very tangible way, um, mm-hmm. in a way uh, that maybe many have not been exposed to in the past, um, mm-hmm. working with uh, your mind, first of all, healing. You know, we've been through a lot with this pandemic. A lot of people have experienced loss, um, have, have experienced, as you said, isolation. Um, and so there's a lot of healing that needs to take place in our community. Um, uh, and so that's one of the things that we want to focus on uh, is healing uh, the community, healing individuals that come to us for help of the join our organization. Um, And then we want to work with empowered thinking, you know, positive thinking, uh, promoting uh, self-worth, 
uh, a sense of community and togetherness, um, that we're not in this fight alone, um, and that we help each other on this journey. Um, and then, of course, our Get Fit DMV, we want to get people out and moving, congregating together, working on their physical well-being. Um, it will help with many of the uh, illnesses that plague, our, particularly the African-American community, like heart disease, uh, um, diabetes, those things. Um, getting out and getting active will, will help um, with any ailment you have and just taking that quality time to yourself. Um, after, you know, just to regroup after this pandemic or as we approach the end of this pandemic, hopefully the end. Can a person present with any faith to your agency and get the support they need? Oh, absolutely. We're non-denominational. Um, mm -hmm. And um, we just want, as long as you believe, then we're here for you. We're, um, and even if you don't, um, and you're just looking, you're, you're trying to find your way, we're still here for you. You know, God, I believe that God is all inclusive and we want to follow that same spirit. I like how you've captured and cornered the three important domains in the recovery. And what I'm talking about the physical health, the spiritual health, and the emotional health. Yeah. Uh, and they tell me the literature actually suggests that for someone to uh, achieve a good outcome, you really have to hit bullseye in all three areas. Yes. And many people will focus more on one. They might work out every day and they might go to church every other day, uh, but they're not addressing their emotional health or vice versa. They're seeing the therapist, but they never pray. And so exactly. you give instruction on how to cultivate and build all three areas, I think is what I'm hearing. Miss Moore, tell me more about the Empowerment Network and how would someone, uh, does someone need a referral into the, the service? How, how do people gain access and, and benefit from the services you provide? We'll be on an online community. So you can just visit our website, which is www.empowered-network.com and sub simply subscribe. That's all it takes. Uh -huh. um, and then we, we will have uh, people available. We will have a spiritual ministry. So we'll have words of inspiration. We'll have a, um, Ministry of Music. Uh, we will have a prayer request. So we'll have something to meet your spiritual needs, but we also will have services for the community. So if you need help, we have partnered with um, organizations, local organizations to provide assistance. If you're dealing with homelessness, if you're dealing with addiction, um, you know, uh, it, whatever your needs are, we will try to meet them or try to connect you with someone who can. Okay. We also have a community services program, and that is geared to support serving returning citizens, um, mm -hmm. as well as battered women and at-risk youth. Uh, and we want to take them through the power, the the experience of empowering their mind, body, and spirit as they prepare for the new next steps in their life. Absolutely. So there's a website people can go to, and we're going to make sure we uh, repeat and announce it again. Yes. Is, is there an interactive aspect to your support? Do they get to talk with someone one-on-one -on -one or in a group format? Oh, yes, yes. So we will be um, partnering with organizations to host workshops um, that life coaching, uh, 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 that's where that kicks in. Um, and we want to help people roadmap to their, whatever they define just as that. We don't want to define it for them. 
We want to help them come up with their own definition and then build action steps to accomplishing what they consider success in their life. Can you share with us what kind of experiences or requests or needs people are presenting with specific to the pandemic? Uh, I, I imagine that this pandemic is prompting people to reach out to resources like such as yours. What kinds of things are you hearing at the front door? Well, I think that um, people are uh, in need of emotional support. Um, there's a, there are a lot of people dealing with grief. Um, there are a lot of people who are faced with financial issues and having to rethink uh, um, either they've lost their job, maybe rethink their career, rethink uh, uh, other revenue streams of, um, and be creative. Uh, some people need to monetize their hobby uh, until they can find their next uh, career opportunity. Uh, so I think that those two areas are, are, are big. And of course, um, I think that the pandemic in its entirety has made a lot of people become more spiritual in their thinking, because it's just something you need um, if you're a believer to get through, you know, difficult and uncertain times. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I definitely know it to be true professionally and personally. Now, let, let's, let's talk a little more about what I call stability factors. And you mentioned something about financial readiness. And, you know, as a therapist, uh, I, I have, I'm real clear on the limits of support we can offer uh, beyond mental health. And that is, if my money's funny and my housing is, is unstable, it's hard for me as a therapist to penetrate and, and empower and, and support uh, the, the most immediate need. And this financial readiness piece is, is really critical at this time. So many people have lost jobs and just weren't adequately prepared for a financial crisis. Such as. And I can imagine you, you're hearing that a lot in the testimonials and the self-reports of, of clients who are seeking support through your agency. Um, yeah. What, how do you respond to somebody saying, I, I have, I'm not able to pay my rent, I'm not able to get food, and it's, it's causing me to be, you know, psychiatrically compromised. I think the first thing is to really help an individual that comes with those needs, um, find services and support that will assist uh, uh, them where they are right then. I think that when people come with tangible help, you can't, you know, giving them a motivational speech is not what they need at that time. They need real assistance. Um, and so that's one of the things we focus on, um, just trying to get them stable. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate the fact that there's a case management function ingrained in, in your network. And so when those immediate needs and or long lasting needs right. are visible uh, and clearly stated, then you, you connect them with the appropriate resources. Yes. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's extraordinary. Um, a life's coach. Life coach. What is a life coach? Uh, a life coach is someone who asks great questions. Um, really, uh, my goal with life coaching is to get to understand my clients, ask mm -hmm. them great questions about where they are and where they desire to go or be in life, uh, and then to really work with them to help them roadmap what that what that trail looks like to their success. Um, whether that success be in the area of their mental wellness, their spiritual wellness, their financial wellness, um, their physical wellness. 
whatever their goals are, is really to take them one at a time and help them roadmap what it looks like to achieving success. What is the uh, preparation and training requirements to become a, le- a life coach? Um, there are life coach certifications. A lot of different companies off- offer them. Um, I chose to uh, go with IPEC, um, and they had a very rigorous training. Um, I think that life also prepared me to uh, do life coaching because I uh, I and my network of family and friends um, have had to coach through getting through difficult times in my own life. And I think that those experiences help me to help others. Well, I was going to ask you uh, something that I sense. And just based on my work, doing this work for many years, I I believe, let me say it a different way, since, since you're a woman of faith. I don't be. I don't believe in luck and chance. I believe in divine intervention and direction, and I don't believe necessarily that people choose this type of work—social work, life coach, peer special. I believe we're chosen to it by divine right and privilege, but also through a set of experiences. And I was going to ask you because, interesting enough, you were a business owner, IT specialist, entrepreneur, did some real estate, and some of those personality characteristics are different than someone who would want to jump into the human service field. So tell me, how, where did this motivation and passion come from? Can, can you share a little bit with us? Sure. Um, well, I've always loved people. Um, and I've always, uh, I chose IT because I could support my children off of that. So it's not, uh, um, I, I've never been a geek um, never been a lover of technology, mm-hmm. just knew that it was a stable income to have. Um, I've always loved people, always cared about people. Um, this ministry though, I will say, uh, God chose me for it. Um, I think I ran away from this calling for a long time, um, which is why I had so many other experiences with other business endeavors. Uh, I, I think in 2010, Someone told me, you know, you'll be called a minister. You're going to become a minister. And I'm like, you're absolutely crazy. That is the absolute last thing that Mm -hmm. I would ever do in life. But um, you have a set of circumstances. And for for me, having lupus and my health progressing, uh, it changed everything for me. It changed my world. It changed my outlook. Um, And then I came to understand why. Um, I was called into ministry and helping others because I went through a lot myself and you can have just one circumstance. It could be health. It could be the loss of a loved one that just changes your entire life, your direction, um, your purpose. And um, that's what happened for me. And so now I'm fully committed to this ministry um, and making a difference in my community uh, and helping people because people help me. And you're fully committed, fully committed. Uh, Thank you for sharing. um, And I appreciate the journey that you described. Um, And I I know the participants in your program are going to be the beneficiaries of such pure, um, sincere, uh, God-driven support. Um, Commitment, commitment to the community, commitment to people. I tell you, if you've ever been a patient or if you've ever been in a vulnerable circumstance, 
uh, you can really appreciate the need. And, yes. you know, when you describe the experience in the hospital, whenever you've been the patient, you know the difference between good care and not so good care. Okay? And um, I believe that based on what I'm hearing from you, there's a standard of excellence, sensitivity that you're going to always, that's always going to coexist in all of the uh, activities that your company uh, engages in. Am I right? Exactly. Yes. Um, and not just that. Um, I was blessed to have an amazing team because there's no way you can do this body of work by yourself. And they are equally as committed. They have been on their own individual journeys in life and been through some things. Um, they're very down to earth uh, uh, people. Um, we're all humbled by our experiences. Uh, we're all committed to making a difference. Um, and we've all had really great support systems. So we know how to support our community. Um, and it's just important at this stage in all of our lives, the entire team to make a difference. Yeah. So what, what kind of support orientation and training do you provide your team? What, what are some of the expectations that you have of them as they perform and promote good health? Um, the expectations of my team, I think that it's a little different for me. What I think um, but what I know I did or uh, was moved to do was pick a team that I knew already had been equipped. Um, I think that spiritually uh, there needed to be a connection as well as life journey. So what we did um, in our interviewing process is really talk about the journey, you know, and what was gained from the journey um, from, from those four areas, mind, body, spirit, and finances. You know, a lot of the people on the team have had to start all over for one reason or another in their lives. So I think that, you know, you can always get great qualifications. And my team does come with great qualifications. But to serve, you have to have great experiences. Mm. You have to have a relationship uh, uh, for this group with God and understand what the mission is and be fully committed to that. And that was the most important thing to me because I think that that's what will benefit our consumers the most. Nice. I guess you want to work with other chosen people. Yes. People who are absolutely. also chosen. Yeah, I appreciate that. What message of hope can you provide us at this time or for anyone who's suffering illness uh, within their own body or family member or co-worker uh, and they're faced with the same uncertainty and anxiety that that you agreed it with in the beginning when you went into the emergency room. What would you say to someone who's, you know, recently diagnosed or we have a pending diagnosis is kind of sitting out there? Uh, the first thing I say is stay positive and stay prayerful. Um, mm -hmm. Understand that life is a journey of ups and downs. Um, and as long as you have breath, there's an opportunity to make each day and every day a great day. Um, and it's really about the power of perception. Um, I used to say to my kids all the time, you can take someone who loses their job and they can either see it as an opportunity to do everything they've ever wanted to do in life, or they can uh, perceive it as the worst thing um, and, you know, decide maybe to jump off a bridge or something like that. But that, that power is within you of how you perceive any uh, a facet of your life, um, the good and the bad. And how you perceive it 
is, is, is how you control your destiny. That's right. That's right. Now, in, in closing, I wanted to talk a little bit about this vaccine um, and wanted to get your thoughts on that. And I'm, I'm sure people are seeking the support from you and your agency with mixed feelings. And in the African-American community, yes. we know there's still a lot of uh, questions. Um, what are your thoughts about the vaccine? And do you encourage people through your network to become vaccinated? Yes, I do. Um, I am vac fully vaccinated. Um, I fought very vigorously before uh, uh, they called me, I called them about getting vaccinated. Um, I, I went there and stood in line uh, with no appointment, just determined to get it. Um, the vac I think first with the vaccination, people need to understand that it does not keep you from getting COVID, but it keeps you from the uh, uh, symptoms that would cause you to pass because of COVID. Um, and for me, that was good enough. Um, I think it's a different kind of worry to when, once you're vaccinated, you know, of getting COVID when it's something that you feel like you will not um, die from. Um, so I, I know that we've had um, problems in the African-American community being tested um, and given drugs in the past, in our history, um, and, um, being used as guinea pigs to test out certain things. And I know that because we have that history, um, more African-Americans are fearful of getting vaccinated. Um, I definitely understand that. I've also heard some people say they came up with the vaccination too fast. Um, but I caution those people to think about, well, what is the time frame for vaccination? I don't know. I don't know. But I don't know that people that feel that way know either. You know, um, in history, um, when there has been a crisis, uh, um, I don't know how fast they come up with the vaccination. But I'm glad that in this case, they they did come up with one and did come up with one relatively quickly. So um, I believe in getting vaccinated because I believe in being safe. Um, and I don't want to lose any more people. That's right. That's right. Thank you for that. Um, those words of encouragement and instruction. Um, yeah. And uh, it's obvious you and the Parliament Network are promoting, encouraging those, everyone to be safe. And part yeah. of the safety plan would include vaccination. Yes. Okay. Ms. Moore, we've appreciated today's discussion. Um, we definitely want to honor your, your network, Empowered Network Company, and we salute you for your community service and all that you're doing to give back uh, to others who might be in a vulnerable position, whether it's temporary or long-term. And uh, I'm encouraged by the hope that you offer those who penetrate and access your your website to, to, to achieve some healing and some stability. Is there anything else you'd like to say in closing to the audience related to the pandemic and just recovery? Um, other than stay hopeful and prayerful, no. I just would do want to thank you, Paul, for this opportunity. It's been wonderful sharing with you. Um, and I hope that someone will be blessed by uh, uh, this conversation today. And Keisha Moore, I know everyone's going to be interested in knowing, people are going to want to reach out to you. What's the best way to make contact with you and or your organization? I think the easiest way would be to uh, visit our website. All of our contact information is there. And again, that's www.empowered-network.com. Okay. 
I'm sure as a result of this podcast, people are going to reach out to you to get more information and maybe to even enroll into your, your program. Ms. Boy, thank great. you. And thank you so much for your time. And for the audience, uh, I want to remind you that Trustees Community Resources is working in conjunction with the Department of Behavioral Health to offer this series of podcasts related to overcoming the pandemic. If you want more information, you can go to our website, trusteescommunityresources.org. Uh, nope, I'm sorry. And there's a menu of, uh, that you can access to get more information about the agency. Until next time, please be safe and be well. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.